This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. So women's golf, man oh man, were they in position. In fact, they were in second place after the first round. They were in the top five after the second round, even though you knew it was not going to be easy. And then they were still in position midway through their final round before things simply fell apart. But let's not take away from not only getting to the NCAA tournament for the first time in more than a decade and being right there amidst a field of teams that included the number three team in the country, LSU, that included the 10th ranked Texas Longhorns, 10-time champion Duke, all three of those teams advance along with the two entrants from the Big Ten, Michigan State and Northwestern. Michigan State was the team that was, well, not quite wire-to-wire the winner, but they did lead after the first round, shooting the only under-par round at the PGA National. The Palm Beach Gardens Regional, one of six regionals around the country, where the top five finishers from each advance to next week's NCAA championships in Scottsdale, Arizona, where, by the way, all you got to do to win that thing is go through four rounds of stroke play after the first three rounds, 30 teams, top 16 advance, and then one more round of stroke play to get you your eight quarter finalists, and then it's match play. So you actually have to play seven rounds in less than a week's time. Shouldn't have mentioned that the quarterfinals and semis are on the same day uh, to win the national championship, and the Bulls would have taken that because it would have meant they had advanced out of Palm Beach Gardens. They were in second place after day one. Now, there was certainly a caveat there as Michigan State was by far the leader at three under par, and the Bulls were in second place at eight over par. Arkansas was one shot behind them. Duke and Texas were one shot behind Arkansas. And then Alabama was another shot back. Northwestern, one more. In fact, it was just a big old jumble that included UCF, just four shots behind the Bulls. So the point of the first day of the tournament was to show that they belonged, and they absolutely did. Now, they started on the back nine, which is definitely the tougher nine at the PJ National. That includes, of course, the bear trap. And that is important to note because it would come into play in a big way on the final day. On this first day, USF on the back nine had no one do better than Melanie Green's even par. You had Alize Vidal, who shot a two over for her day, shoot two over on that back nine. Then it was Juliana Camargo and Lauren Heinlein both posting three overs. On the front nine, Melanie Green matched her back nine with an even three birdies, three bogeys. Vidal did the same thing, so she shot a two over. And then Camargo was one under with just one birdie, very consistent on the front nine. So the Bulls, as a team, it all added up to a plus eight score. And that, again, was just a little bit better than a handful of teams. So it's not like they were in the clear, but they were in second place, and that was not a bad place to be. It also put them in the lead group on Tuesday alongside of the leaders, of course, Michigan State and Arkansas, the Razorbacks team that had been to the championship round five of the last seven years. And how would the Bulls perform in that situation? Pretty darn well. They stayed steady. In fact, they had what turned out to be their best round of the tournament. And get this, the best round of the day for anybody in the entire showing was by a bull, Leonor Mardarish, who had not even had her score count the previous day because it was eight over par. If you're not familiar with how the golf scoring works, you have five players in your starting lineup. You get to drop your worst score, and the other four count towards the team total. Well, Camargo was eight over par on this day. Try three under par 69. Again, no one else was better than 70. Quite the round that included a pretty good turn with birdies on nine, 10, and 11. So she shot the three under par. Melanie Green shot an even par, and the strange thing about MG was that, again, the 
tougher nine is the back nine. She bogeyed two holes on the front half, but still turned in the even round, which had her fifth leading into the final day. Heinlein was three over par. Heinlein, the transfer from Kansas, actually birdied four of her first seven. She mixed in a double bogey and unfortunately ended with, on that bear trap, a bogey and a double bogey. So she was headed towards maybe an even better round, but shot three over par. And Vidal's score, which included a triple bogey on the fourth hole, was five over par. So it could have been a better round for the Bulls, but thanks to Madarosh's fantastic round, they were absolutely in contention for finishing in the top five. However, again, a pretty formidable group of teams just behind the Bulls were tied with Texas at 13 over par for the last two spots. Two shots behind them was UCF, which that meant, of course, was going to be in the Bulls group on the final day. Three shots back were both Arkansas and LSU, and you just couldn't help but think that they were going to make a run on that final day. Well, that's exactly what happened, and that's why we go back to the back nine being the toughest part of the course because Arkansas and LSU yesterday started on the back nine. The top three teams were Michigan State five over par, Northwestern eight over, then Duke at 12 over. The Bulls for a while had a chance to finish day two in the top three and that would have meant they would have been the last teams off the tee. But they got the earlier tee times on hole one with Texas and UCF. So you had the two horns up teams and of course UCF. Then teams 7 through 9, Arkansas, LSU, and California, with really Arkansas and LSU the only ones in serious contention. The bottom four, Cal, Bama, Penn, and Quinnipiac, ended up being the bottom four finishers for the tournament, just had too much of a margin to overcome. So what you needed to do if you were the Bulls was get off to a good start, and it just didn't happen. They were still very much in contention. In fact, as they were heading towards the middle of their round, at one point they had popped up into third place. Then at another point, they got caught by UCF, and they were tied, and you couldn't help but think, okay, what happens if teams tie for fifth? That would have been something you would have had a, by the way, sudden-death playoff where all five golfers' scores count, and you just go hole by hole if you have to. But it never got close to that because LSU, which did not make a charge initially, well, it turned out both the SEC teams jumped both the AAC teams, and USF had a really rough back nine. It's funny, you knew that was going to be the tougher part, but what they did not do on the front half is what, in essence, gave the Bulls not much of a chance. Madarosh was great. She birdied four of her first six holes, but there were only three other birdies on the front nine in all for USF. And even though Madarosh made the turn at one under and Juliana Camargo was very steady with the one over par score. In fact, if you could have just been even par on the day, you would have easily advanced but it didn't happen that way. Back nine is what really got the Bulls two triple bogeys, two double bogeys, and only four birdies in all. The math just doesn't work out. Melanie Green, who's great, the Bulls' best golfer and future pro, when she bogeyed three of her first four holes in the day, unfortunately just didn't have the best feeling about how it would turn out. Well, how it turned out is the Bulls were 16 over on their final round, 29 over par. That's still eighth. Well clear of the ninth place Alabama Crimson Tide, by the way. Two shots behind UCF, but the Knights not going to take any solace in that because they were right there and just faltered just like the Bulls did on the back nine. Where Melanie Green and Leo Medeiros were both in the top ten at one point during their round early, it was Green finishing three over, that's tied for 14th. Medeiros five over, that's tied for 19th. And the next best bull, Lauren Heinlein, was at 13 over par. She shot a seven over final round 
while Elise Vidal and Juliana Camargo both finished at 15 over par. As it turned out, and this is, listen, we'll say it, pressure can get to you. And it's happened before, and it's not just happened to the Bulls. Just heard UCF happen to them by seed. The Knights were one of the top five teams in this regional, and they were the only of the by seed top five that are not going to the championships next week. UCF was actually ranked 19th in the country. Michigan State was the team that was outside of the top five by its ranking, but ended up winning the tournament at eight over par. Duke, which actually the Bulls were tied with a third of the way through Wednesday and ended up being 18 strokes behind Duke. Second place, Duke, the 10-time national champion, will advance. And yes, you could see the teams with maybe more experience finishing off strong. Texas, 14 over par. Northwestern, more on them in a second, tied for third. LSU by one shot over Arkansas, so the Razorbacks will not advance. LSU did the thing. They were the one team that was actually under par on the back nine where they began, and once they cleared that hurdle, their front nine, they tore it up. In fact, Latana Stone ended up tied for first as an individual. She shot three under par. They had a bunch of birdies, and actually just one golfer finished over par that counted anyway. The bulk of their bogeys were by a golfer whose score didn't count, so it didn't hurt them at all. And they needed that because, again, they advanced by just one shot over Arkansas. So LSU deserved it. And you talk about pressure. Going into the back nine, Northwestern was tied for first place, five over par. They were in the clear, five shots clear of the next team. That would have been Duke at the time. And 13 shots, quote-unquote, safe from being out of the top five. Well, it ended up, and this is a team, by the way, Northwestern, that last year, when only four teams advanced, tied for fourth and lost the sudden death playoff. Deja vu, they were, in the end, again, from 13 shots being safe to just one shot ahead of Arkansas, and they held on. They actually feel good for a team like Northwestern. Two things that'll hopefully make you feel better. I take solace. First of all, definitely could have been worse if UCF had advanced and the Bulls hadn't. Number two, even if the Bulls had shot even par on that really difficult back nine, which they did not come close to doing in the first two rounds, they were eight over and five over. Even if they'd gone even, they still would have been outside of the top five. So great year just didn't come to the ending that you'd want. And of course, the Bulls will be motivated for next year when all but Lauren Heinlein returns. Congratulations to two conference teams for advancing, and Tulsa is very appreciative of the fact that five teams make it out instead of just four, as has been in years past, because they were well out of fourth place, but they were well in fifth place at the Indiana Regional, so Tulsa advances, and SMU, which stayed at the top of the leaderboard, really, for the whole thing, actually tied with Pepperdine first place at the San Antonio Regional, so two conference teams advanced, the other one that was trying for it, Houston, Never really made a push there in Pullman, Washington. This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Well, you figured it out if you've been listening to the channel. Last day, we had plenty of the first time that East Carolina came to USF to play the Bulls in softball. And we would like for it to be like the first and the third games. The middle game was the one where the Bulls fell behind four to nothing and got all nine of their runs in the second inning and won nine to five. They swept East Carolina. Gabby Norrie. And we'll get more on her here in just a little bit. Was welcomed back that weekend after missing a full month. And she pitched a near shutout in the first game and an actual run rule shutout in the second game. Bulls are the number three seed. Excellent article by Joey Johnston on GoUSFBulls.com. Kind of about how their season has gone. 
They, for just a little brief time, had both their top two pitchers healthy at the same time. You saw the talent in Peyton Dixon. She got off to the 12-6 and six start, then suffered an injury. Gabby Norrie missed a month. She was back in time for conference play. They were never together in one series starting until this past weekend when the Bulls, and again, we're revisiting some stuff from a weekend ago just because we haven't done a show until today, but they needed to win one game against Houston to tie up the number three seed for the conference tournament. And did they have to work for it? Because last Friday, it was they've had some tough losses this year, probably their most heartbreaking loss, as they had three separate leads, including one that they took in the top of the ninth inning before Houston came back against Peyton Dixon. Vivian Pond had an RBI single in the first inning, and then Megan Piero an RBI single in the second. Houston tied it with the homer in the third. Bulls answered right back in the top of the fourth inning as Tylee Vaughn and Emily Hanlon had singles. Then you had the good old ground out and sack fly by Jordan Cadlip. This time, Houston waited until the sixth to tie it up, and then the Bulls get out of a second and third jam in the bottom of the eighth. So we go to the ninth inning, and the Bulls take the lead. Piero, a leadoff walk. Cadlip, a sack bump. Kathy Garcia-Soto puts runners on the corners with an infield single, and then another sack fly. Hey, whatever works. But here comes Dixon, and she gives up a single that doesn't leave the infield, a bunt that was meant to be a sacrifice that traveled all of three feet that turned into an infield single, another sacrifice bunt that traveled about seven feet, and it's second and third, a wild pitch for the tying run, a single to third base, again, doesn't leave the infield, that put runners on the corners, and then on a three-and-two pitch, Dixon actually walks the Houston runner, but it was also a wild pitch, and alertly the Cougars runner scored from third. So on an inning filled with things that never left the infield, quite actually, the Bulls were on the heartbreaking end of a loss. However, what they did do in that game is that they spread out their pitching a little bit better because Kenna Wilkie, who's Houston's ace, yeah, dramatic victory, but she threw 155 pitches, and she was done for Saturday. And guess what? The Bulls won 8 to nothing in run rule. Bonus, Peyton Dixon was able to get her confidence back. Double bonus, she threw a no-hitter. It was one of those strange no-hitters that didn't really feel like one because, well, she threw 65 pitches, and roughly half of them were for strikes. She walked three, she hit a batter, but nobody got a base hit. Vivian Pond had a two-run homer, and then all of a sudden the Bulls turned on the offense in the top of the fifth. By the way, they took their early lead with the help of three walks, again by a pitcher who's just not nearly as good as their top pitcher. So we've seen this in the past with the Bulls. Now they've got, with Dixon and Nori healthy, two similar style pitchers, and hopefully it can lead to a long postseason run. More on that, but this game got sped along when Marissa Tribalpiece had a double, and then with two on, Camille Ortiz-Martinez, the freshman, smacks a three-run homer. So not only were you looking at a possible run rule victory at 8-0, but yeah, maybe a no-hitter, and that's exactly how it happened. Dixon, in the bottom of the fifth, actually walked someone for good measure, first no-hitter of the year. Now, at that point, the number three seed was clinched. Actually, Saturday, all the seeds were set, and therefore, Sunday's action really for no one in the conference meant anything. And with bad weather in that Houston area, they went ahead 
and decided not to play the final game. And it wasn't just the softball series. It was baseball. We'll talk more about baseball tomorrow, by the way, especially with the whole conference, where that series in Houston was very important. The Cougars had won the first two games to take first place, and they actually didn't play their third game either. But the Bulls, that's why their final conference record ends up being 10-7, and seven, and they will take on six-seeded East Carolina today. We'll talk more about the Pirates when we hit the air. Again, it's been moved up to 3 o'clock. But the all-conference teams, let's get to them. It's good to know these are voted on by the coaches, so they definitely see the defense that Kathy Garcia-Soto turns in on a daily basis. We uh, don't have time to give you the defensive highlight reel of Miss Garcia, the freshman from Jefferson, but she took over after really struggling offensively at the plate for the first six weeks. She started to get the bat going, had the dramatic walk-off homer against Texas, but her defense got her shared honors with another freshman, actually, Sammy Hood from Wichita State. The first teamers for the Bulls, Gabby Nori. What an addition. Gabriella Nori, the transfer pitcher from Lehigh, ended up going 8-8 eight and eight this year with a 2-1-8 ERA. But those wins were slow in coming once she got them. Once we got into conference play, those two that weekend against East Carolina, believe it or not, were just her second and third of the year. All freshman team, I'm a little surprised that Peyton Dixon, I think she just got hurt by the fact she didn't actually pitch much in conference play. But she ended up 13-5 with a 1-4-3 ERA. Uh, certainly she is going to be an important factor if the Bulls are going to make a postseason run. I would urge you to head to GoUSFBulls.com where Ken Erickson kind of lays out how it went this year for the Bulls. It took them a while to find their identity. It took them a while to get their two pitchers healthy together, the top two anyway. But now they are. And a player that had a lot to do with their success ended up being Vivian Pond, and she was named first-team all-conference as a utility player. Of course, she started to pitch a lot more as the season went along, but she also hit 300, eight homers, 25 RBI. She also picked up three wins in the circle along with two saves. For the first what, three months of the season, she had only pitched a handful of innings. She ended up with 23 and two-thirds innings pitched. Marissa Trivalpiece was the top bull as far as batting average and RBI, 302, 32 RBI with eight homers. She was deservedly on the second team. Good to see Jordan Cadlib get recognized with second team honors as well. She had a 260 batting average, which was under Emily Hanlon for fourth on the team. We'll talk more about the squad today. We'll also sprinkle in some of the other honors from the conference. Sydney McKinney, whose Wichita State team is the number one seed. That's why the Shockers don't play today. They will get the Tulsa-Houston winner tomorrow. And the Bulls, if they win today, yes indeed, likely to be playing UCF in the semifinals. And that would be on Friday at 2.30. But just tune in today at 3 o'clock. We'll do much more on softball. So, Baseball, not exactly going well right now. They're in last place in the conference. We'll do much more on them on tomorrow's show. But definitely wanted to give you the what would have been highlight moment of the weekend and maybe a turnaround moment for the Bulls season as they had lost on Friday 4-2, to got a good starting pitching performance from Hunter Mink, but obviously not enough offense. Mink struck out nine. The Bulls lose the game. Then it looked like they were going to get it back even. They held the lead throughout on Saturday, but could not tack on in the middle portion of the game. They had a 3-0 lead when Memphis got a home run against Jack Siebert in the fifth. It didn't seem like much, especially when it was 3-1 going to the bottom of the eighth, and the Bulls turned to their closer, Riley Skeen. And the Tigers, who had four hits at that point, had never had two base runners in an inning. Well, that changed as they started stroking line drives and tied it up. But the Bulls, granted, got a little bit of a break to start their rally in the ninth inning. It was a drop third strike. It should have been nobody on and two outs. 
Dalton Kendrick, who on Friday night got his 12th save, which is tied first in the country, through that second strikeout, and you figured inning over. But Nelson Rivera was able to get on first, so they pinch run for him, and then things started going perfectly, and you thought it was going to be a win. Whenever you can get somebody on base against this guy, you go ahead and do it. But that was a break. Runner is off, and the ball is struck to the left side. A beautiful hit and run by Sankovic. And the Bulls are in business. Runners on the corners. What a piece of coaching and execution by USF. One out. Bozer's got to come up big here. Oh, yeah. That's big right there. That is deep. And that is gone. Unloaded. Bulls take it back. It's 6-3. to three. Bobby with a bomb, his 14th of the season. And there was no doubt about that one. I mean, he hammered that ball. Bobby Bozer bomb. Yeah, it was going pretty well. Six to three and Riley Skeen's second chance to close it out. Couldn't do it. Memphis kept on lining drives, had a couple of balls that could have been caught. Tanner Mink came on into a tough situation, gave up the tying hit, and then the walk-off wild pitch. And the Bulls were in a 6-1 hole, next thing you knew, on Sunday. Started to pop some home runs. Joaquin Monke smashed one out. Drew Brutcher absolutely crushed one as well, as did Rafael Betancourt. But it was too little too late, and they got swept by Memphis. Now, the scores were 4-2, 7-6, and 8-6. So it's not like they didn't show up, but they got a tough opponent tomorrow that we'll talk more about. Also tomorrow, track and field, and again, we'll run it all down for you. We're talking to head coach Eric Jenkins today, but that begins, and it will go throughout the weekend. The AAC track and field conference meet is hosted by USF. We definitely want to mention that, but we'll spend a lot more time on it on tomorrow's show. Finally, tennis and men's basketball. The all-conference teams were announced this week for the women, their top two performers. Grace Schumacher and Sierra Berry, first-team all-conference performers for the men. Their doubles top tandem, Eric Velius and Alvin Todorica, all-conference performers. By the way, the league was shut out in NCAA tournament play for the second straight year. The men did not get a win. They went 0-3, and on the women's side, both SMU and UCF were defeated in last weekend's first round. And familiar name for new head coach Amir Abdul-Rahim. Kind of maybe had seen him around campus anyway, but it was made official yesterday that one of his assistant coaches is Ben Fletcher, who worked with him all four years at Kennesaw State. And before that was a longtime assistant coach, nearly 15 years at Troy University, which had some record-breaking type of offensive team. So we'll seek out Coach Fletcher for an interview soon enough. And as we alluded to at the start of the show, both Elena Chinecki and Dulcie Fank and Mangiadu off to pretty solid reserve roles for their WNBA teams. It's never a given you're going to make the teams. They certainly have, as Elena's with the Washington Mystics, and Dulcie was actually the player of the game for the Seattle Storm, even though it was a loss. She had nine points and ten rebounds off the bench in just about 12 minutes. Talk to you today with softball. Again, we'll be on the air at around 3 o'clock. The first game, Houston and Tulsa, begins at 10 with everything moved up. Then it's UCF and Memphis. That is a 12:30 game. Incidentally, last weekend while the baseball team was at Memphis, the softball team for UCF was there. It actually got pushed to extra innings, and that maybe, based on last weekend, could be a competitive game, which would be very interesting. And we're not taking for granted that the Bulls are going to advance today. But if they do, yes, we'll have a war and I four for you tomorrow. Either way, we'll have plenty to talk about on Friday's Bulls beat. But that's going to wrap up this Thursday show. I'm Derek Sharp.